Just a quick note from the editing room. A few minutes into this episode, Dawson's audio track develops a weird clicking noise, and I'm really sorry about that. We didn't know it was happening as we were recording, and I have no idea what the source is, but I tried to get as much of it out as I could, but I really couldn't get most of it. So uh, apologies for that. Please try to enjoy the episode anyway. You're listening to Phanalysis, a science fiction and fantasy podcast. In this episode, we're talking about The Hundred, episode 310, Fallen. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Dawson. And this season of The Hundred is not an easy one to watch. <laughs> it is not. Not, no. It's been rough. It turns out that 307 and the events therein are were kind of the turning point of just horribleness at every turn, it turns out. Yeah. It kind of all went downhill from there, didn't it? <laughs> it really did. Once again, I find these episodes kind of hard to talk about and kind of hard to watch. And I I was telling Dawson earlier that part of my issue here is I kind of can't tell anymore if the episodes are well written just in and of themselves because they're so hard for me to get through because everybody is being so very awful. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I, w- I would say I don't I don't have any trouble saying that the episodes are well written. I think, you know, in terms of it depends on what you mean by well written. If we mean like decent dialogue and decently, you know, well structured per episode, we're good. But as many people have pointed out, right, the pace is all wrong. You know, we're, we rush through a lot of things we shouldn't rush through. And um, that's caused a lot of problems, which we can talk about more as we <laughs> get further on in the podcast. Because some of them manifest quite significantly in this episode and have been for a while, right? I think we feel the the dissonance of those various rushed storylines. And so I think to keep things short-ish <laughs> for this episode, I think we're going to do like we did last week, talk about things we liked and then things we didn't like. And then that way, if you're somebody who likes to stick with the positive things, you can just listen to the beginning of the episode and just turn us off after that, because we're going to complain. <laughs> we'll warn you when we get to the complaining part of the episode. <laughs> oh, you'll know where it's where it's going to turn. Critique. The critiquing part of the episode. There will only be m- small amounts of complaint. Mostly critique. There you go. Fair enough. <laughs> and I'm going to start us off here with a voice message sent by my friend Sally. Hey, Chris and Dawson. This is Sally. I just finished this week's episode, and just when you think things can't get any worse on this show or that people can't possibly sink any lower, they do. I'm not really one who calls things ahead of time, and I'm not usually right when I do on shows, but I swear, when Monty's mom was telling him to go, I suspected her immediately. I thought there was no way that she was on the level, and... She betrayed her own son. There were, of course, tons more horrible things that happened. You know, in spite of all of that, I enjoyed it a little bit. And really just the only reason I enjoyed it, I think, is that I was watching season two while season three was going on. So I heard that something terrible happened in 
season three. I didn't know what it was, but I had a pretty good suspicion. So I kept myself a little bit emotionally aloof, I think. was kind of expecting it. Anyway, so I feel a little detached from the characters, and I'm just observing them sink lower and lower. And it's astounding in some ways. I will say, so Chris, you and I were encouraged by our friend Rebecca to watch this show. And uh, first of all, thanks for that, Rebecca. But also, Rebecca and I have a t-shirt company. It's called Fangirl Shirts. And we were really impressed with the fan reaction to episode 307 when Lexa died. And so we made a t-shirt and we're going to donate half the proceeds to the Trevor Project fundraiser. It's to honor Lexa, you know, and all that she meant to everyone in fandom. And we want to be able to, you know, do our part to support it all. So if you're interested, the shirt is on sale until Wednesday and you can find it on the web at fangirlshirts.com. All right, that's it. Thanks. And the day this episode is being posted is the last day to get those Lexa fangirl shirts. Otherwise, you can find fangirl shirts on Twitter at fangirl shirts and beg them to make them available again. Maybe they will. I don't know. But thanks for sending that in, Sally. So, okay. As far as things we liked in the episode, <laughs> I honestly had a really hard time right after this episode, like thinking of things that didn't depress me. <laughs> And so the main thing that I got out of it is at least none of quote unquote our characters died. <laughs> I don't know about you. I mean, the week this episode aired has been horrible with character deaths. There's actually like a thing going around Tumblr that links to an article that was talking about how seven, seven different women died on television during this week. This week has been particularly bad. This entire season of TV, I feel like, especially in the genre worlds, has been brutal with character death it really really has i think somebody actually looked at a list that someone had compiled and it is actually statistically higher what's going on showrunners is everything okay in hollywood do we need to like go check on people are they like having a really rough time in their lives or <laughs> i don't know but it's it's hard to watch it is i am depressed yeah same anyway Moving on to something happier. I don't want to I dwell promise, on it. I promise this is the things we like section. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about Lindsay Morgan because Lindsay Morgan is amazing in this episode. Let's just talk about Lindsay Morgan who just blows it out of the water this episode. Oh, man. She's so good. And it, I mean, it starts off and she's got to be reciting the Raven while doing pull-ups while doing... <laughs> I don't know, just setting up the speakers and the, it's impressive. And yeah, it was, it was loud music, reciting the Raven, watching static, static and like yeah. visual, visual brain disruptions, right? And then doing pull ups for like physical exertion. I got tired watching it. <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> really. A, it was, it was stellar to watch something like that, that sort of thing. What I love about it is it feels entirely just like super genius Raven doing what she does. And then I took a moment and realized that that's just Lindsay Morgan doing all of those things, like reciting the Raven, doing pull-ups, setting stuff up, hitting all of her marks, right? Being aware of where the camera is, making sure she's reciting the right lines. I cannot imagine 
I don't know. I always knew Raven was super cool and a genius, but I mean, that's just like Lindsay Morgan just doing amazing beep on camera. Like that was crazy to me. I'm so, so impressed with that. Yeah, there was actually, I forget who tweeted it. There was a tweet about how they were joking about or laughing at the fact that Lindsay Morgan would have to do so many (laughs) pull-ups. Because of course, I mean, filming it, you're filming it a number of times too. Sure. Although the the rumors rumors say that that Lindsay is is kind of a super fit human, so I believe it. You know, I'm sure she I'm sure she handled it with her usual poise and good humor. <laughs> but still, it's super impressive. Is is the point I'm making? It really is. I I again, the, like I knew Raven was really impressive as a character, and that was definitely one of those moments of like suddenly realizing that Lindsay is at least equally as impressive. Like. That was pretty pretty awesome. And then, of course, there's also the turn where she's Allie. Allie takes over <sighs> Raven, and suddenly Lindsay Morgan is Allie, and it's weird. And I mean that in a complimentary way. <laughs> yeah. How scary was that? That moment, because it's that moment you see her standing mm-hmm. with her hip cocked and her hands that way, and like... And that look... And the look the head and the, tilted just so, uh, like, and perfect, like, perfectly right on. It was disturbing, honestly. I, <laughs> I got a cold chill down the spine at that it one. It was super disturbing. So kudos, Lindsay Morgan. Yeah, you were hard to watch in a good way. <laughs> yes, very hard to watch. That's the kind of hard to watch that I like, right? The like mm-hmm. that that impressive terrifying acting talent where you go oh wow that's Allie I mean that's like Lindsay Morgan just became Allie (laughs) that was amazing absolutely spectacular to watch so moving on from Lindsay Morgan one of the plot things that I liked is Jasper finally has a mission because Jasper started off as a mess and then they kind of sidelined him for a long time yes and now he's an active participant in the events that are taking place in Arcadia. Yeah. Like he's a little bit, you know, he kind of kind of saves the day a little bit, except that then he doesn't because <laughs> he tries though, man. He he tries really hard. I it was very it was very Jasper, right? He tries really hard and and kind of fails spectacularly in the ways Jasper often does. But I'm glad we got back to that Jasper as opposed Agreed. to Yeah, as opposed to Jasper just lying on the floor, kind of not doing sulky, anything. Sulky mean Jasper of earlier this season, yeah. Right. Exactly. I'm also glad that Clark is finally reunited with some of the other delinquents. Yeah, I... (laughs) You know, beginning of the season, I would have told you I was really excited to see Clark, like, returning to a scenario where she will be around the other delinquents and, like, we'll get to see them all together. And now I'm a little bit terrified for how that'll... (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. For how that'll go. Things are so bad and so so broken between all of them that it should be an interesting interesting journey. At the very least, it's going to mean we're going to get to see Eliza Taylor doing like that intense thing where she's Clark and everything is falling apart around her and she has all of these all of this baggage like piled up inside of her that she can't do anything with because she has to like be Clark for her people. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> And I love watching Eliza Taylor do that because she does it so well. So I'm excited to see that. At least that's going to be really cool. Agreed. Yeah. And then the last thing we're going to talk about, Bellamy finally, finally, finally 
seems to have come around. Sort of. Yeah, well, that's the but. Because but, <laughs> and now we're going to talk about things we didn't like. <laughs> now is the time where we transition. If you would prefer to only hear the positive, this is the moment to tune out. Yeah, opt out now. <laughs> opt out now. Eject, eject. Um, <laughs> so, as glad as I am that Bellamy has finally rejoined again, quote unquote, our group. His motivations for this aren't clear. Kane specifically asks him why he's doing it, and Bellamy basically refuses to answer. I will add one more thing I did like, which is that I did really enjoy Kane in this episode. I enjoy Kane in every episode. I was going to say, I think that <laughs> doesn't need to be said, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but particularly since we're talking about that moment, particularly in that moment where Kane once again sort of steps into that mentor role and and is insisting that if he didn't do it for the right reasons that the problem is that he doesn't understand that you have to do things for the right reasons and you know if he did it just to protect Octavia then he's still not trustworthy i think is essentially what Kane is saying right and that's where Bellamy has finally come around but because his motivations are so unclear he's still not trustworthy really and Neither Octavia nor Kane nor us as audience members, I think, know whether or not to put any trust in him. Yeah, it's true. Which, again, is sort of why I didn't like that, because there's been a lot of that. The unclear motivations and the not being able to trust characters that we once thought we could. It's frustrating for me. It is. That scene was almost a summation of so much of what's frustrated me about the season as it's gone on, which is that people's motivations are incredibly unclear. And the story is still being told as though we really understand people's motivations. And I don't feel like the motivations have been made clear. And so then we kind of sit with this weird in-between place where you there's nobody you can root for because you have no idea if any of these people are good people. And that's really a it's <laughs> really an issue. Or even if they're bad people, right? There's no like you need something to ground yourself in all of that, and there, there's kind of nothing to hang on to in the show right now, which is unsettling and frustrating mm -hmm. as a viewer. Which is a, another point. The shock value stuff continues. The shock value nonsense continues. Because the whole storyline with Raven, as potentially interesting as it is, I feel like the fact that there is interesting stuff gets overshadowed by the extended scene of them torturing her, the scene of Allie taking her over and cutting her arms open with a scalpel. There is a fundamental... I'm going to get real... <laughs> I'm going to tear into some things here. There is. It is clear and obvious at this stage in the season, there is a fundamental lack of understanding from the showrunner, from whoever is greenlighting these things, that writing it on the page is one thing. When you shoot it with people who have come to represent these characters for us and put it on TV, you've just made a three-dimensional real thing that will completely overshadow any good storyline you may have, right? When you get that graphic with something that horrific... It just overshadows the storyline. It just does. It's always going to. 
I don't remember who I was reading an interview with. I read an interview with someone who writes for TV and also has done work for theater. And one of the things they said was, you have to be careful because the things you can put on television, you can't put in theater. Because when you're at a theater, you're there in the audience with people, right? And you see those people. So something that plays as maybe, you know, funny and slap, like one of the things they were talking about was was slapstick humor where someone kind of falls over, you know, and things like that. That it, that the way it is felt by the audience, because the audience is in the room, is very, very different than something that's on your TV screen. And I feel like the same is true from written word to the manifestation of something on the screen, which is that when you're just kind of reading it, it doesn't read as graphic, and it doesn't read as horrifying, and it doesn't read as overwhelming. When you actually film it and put it on screen, it just overwhelms all of any any good story you may be telling and and I know you mentioned that earlier Chris that you're struggling with like whether or not any, the episodes are even good because the shock value the sort of horrific stuff that they're showing on screen completely overpowers the story and that's all you see or think about right it's one of those things i realize that's why they do it and especially why they keep doing all these things to raven raven's for me at least very sympathetic so it's a thing that tv always does, right? The They always take this very endearing character that you're attached to, and they do terrible things to them, or they continuously endanger them so that the hero can save them, stuff like that, because you're invested. And I just kept thinking while I was watching this episode, it's like, are they torturing Raven or are they torturing us, the viewers? And that's the line, right? That's the line. And it's a, I will say... Now that I have torn into the show, as in if in defense of the writers and the showrunner and all of those people, that's a hard line to know when you're coming up on it because you don't know how it's going to play to your audience, right? It's hard to know when you've crossed too far. The problem to me is that the hundred several episodes ago crossed too far and hasn't pulled back at all. They just keep going further. I was going to say they just they drove right over it and they're still going. Yeah, they sort of crossed right over the line and are barreling. From my perspective, maybe I'm wrong, who knows, but from my perspective, are barreling away from their audience, right? Because that's not, (laughs) as we talked about last episode, if I wanted to watch, you know, lots of character death and torture and pain, I'd watch, I'd watch Game of Thrones, I'd watch, you know, The Walking Dead, I'd watch those shows. That's not what I tune into the show for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's sort of, there's, and I think we talked about this last week too, that there isn't enough stuff to counter this. It's just this. Yeah. The shock value and putting our characters in danger, and there's not enough hope to balance that out. They literally, I meant to mention this before, and I don't know what it got away from me, but they have literally killed off love <laughs> and romance in the series. Yes. There are two major ships on the show. Or there, there had been earlier this season, right? It was Clark and Lexa and Lincoln and Octavia. Those are the mm-hmm. two major canon ships. And half of each of those ships is dead now. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's an inherent hope within love and romance, right? I mean, yes. You know, and it's gone now. And it's just making the whole thing a lot harder to sit through for me. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it's a, it's a balance, right? Like you want showrunners talk about this all the time. You want people to be affected. You know, you want like there is something great about that gut punch moment 
where your audience is really kind of doubled over and and impacted by by the story you're telling. But now it's nothing but gut punches. Right. And the problem here is that you you've crossed the line from having a gut punch moment to your entire show just being gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. There's no there's no breathing room. And again, I think this goes into were I to guess, part of the problem is probably that they tried to shove way too much into this season. Um, and so we ended up with a lot of stuff really, really rushed, right? That the things that are happening in this season should not have all happened together and should have taken place over the course of a couple of seasons, two or three seasons, to allow room for them to have impact. The other thing that happens, and this has happened to me, is like, I just shrug at this point. I know a lot of people have said, like, it's so horrific to watch, they can't watch anymore. And I actually have, I know many people who have said, I can't watch it. It's not good for my mental health, which is a totally legitimate absolutely fair. Always take care of yourself first. Absolutely. What's happened for me is, and I think this happens to a lot of audience members, you become very numb to it, right? The like, here we go, you know, now we're going to torture Raven. And then, okay, so you cut her wrists. And then the thing with Murphy, which is something else we can get into, right? Like, we will in a minute. Yeah. Gouge a dude's eyes out. Okay. Like it's, I'm so numb to it at this point. It's not it's horrific. And to me, like, that makes me very uncomfortable. To get to a point where I'm numb to those horrors is terrible. Like, I, I as an audience member, don't enjoy that. And I, I don't think there are any audience members who enjoy that. I honestly don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are people out there. But I can't. I just, that, it all feels way far over the line at this point. Like, we have driven over the line and are just going to continue driving very fast, far away. And I'm like, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) We will be continuing to cover the show, but I don't know if we'll continue to do it for the fourth season. But yeah, we're we're going to finish out the season because we need to know where this is going. Because why do this? I will will say (laughs) somebody said at... Like a couple of people have said this. I don't remember who specifically they all were, but a couple of people speculated. What if by the end of the season, they've killed everyone off and the story moves forward in the City of Light? I can't decide if I would like that or not. I can't either. But to me, that's almost the only direction you could go where doing... Even then, I would not find the lengths to which they have gone in this season acceptable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, to me... The only way, when you get this horrific, the only way to pay that off is the nuclear option, you know, is to like, to ha- to end the world all over you, again. You want to go Becca on it. Yeah. Or Ally 1.0. <laughs> Ally 1.0, exactly. Which is actually what's happening, so. <laughs> yeah. But it's that idea of like, to me at least, A, there's no justification for crossing this far. I don't think you needed to do... of what was done in this season to get us to that, (laughs) to that point, you know? Mm -hmm. But B, now that you've gone all this far, like, to me, that's the only, that's the only way you could cap it off. I don't know how else you would do it. That wouldn't feel utterly dissatisfying, you know? But would that be not dissatisfying that everybody dies and goes to the city? I probably, I'm, I, it's too late. I am dissatisfied. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's already happened. (laughs) So I accept they're not going to go back and yeah, you just want to hit the reset button is what you want to (laughs) do. Pretty much. I want to hit the reset button. I also like, I don't know. What if they decide that this whole season or at least half of the season was a dream sequence? Oh yeah. If they totally retcon the whole thing. (laughs) Um, 
That would be an interesting route to go. <laughs> I don't know how I would feel about that. And Clark wakes up and she's back in what episode was that in season two where she wakes up in the forest and Oh man. That would be <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> that was some nightmare you had, Clark. <laughs> yeah. We would be concerned for Clark's mental health. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think I would like that much either. I most in the in, in, there's no there's. Mm, this sounds so harsh. There's no fixing it, right? There's no like. To me, they have gone very far over the line at this point, and and for me, as, as for myself as an audience member, they've gone way too far over the line for me to. The only way I could see them even thinking all of this made sense would be if the payoff at the end is you know, the second apocalypse comes, right? And the whole world is destroyed again. That's, the to me, the only thing that would make any of this not feel justified, but but at least make more sense to me, where they thought this would be the way to go, even though I think it was a bad decision. So then season four would take place in the Matrix? Yes. Okay. I guess we'll see. I was just going to make a really snarky comment about engaging with the Wachowskis and maybe learning something about how to do good queer rap in their shows. Uh, the thing is, like, they were doing really well until they weren't. Yeah, exactly. This show. And that's that's been the weirdest thing about this show and why I'm like, what happened in this season that you went this route? Which is why I keep, like, reaching for the, like, what what could they do that would make this at least make sense? Right. For the because I feel like they, they must have something that they thought this would be worth doing. Right. Shall we talk about consent? Yes, because yes, back to the back to the shock value nonsense. Yeah, so part of what made this episode so very very difficult for me is that there was sort of a theme of the episode and that theme seemed to be consent doesn't matter. And I'm just like why are you putting that out there show? I mean, granted it's it's the villains who are doing it who are the perpetrators of this idea, but it's just so difficult to watch. And the fact that they're putting it out there at all, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> it is. It's Raven, Abby, and Murphy are all subjected to awfulness. Yeah. The consent pieces of this episode are really hard for me to talk about, mostly because I suppose I, like, I can see from the angle of wanting to make a statement about consent right? That, like you said, you know, these are, these things are perpetrated on characters we care about by villains. Part of what upsets me about this too, is that what we see in here from Jaha in this episode, specifically in regards to the way he's acting towards both Raven and Abby, fully pushes Jaha into villain territory. They were leading him there before, but there was the possibility that it wasn't going to be full villainous thing, right? Like he thought he was doing something good and perhaps still does. But his actions in this episode, which are what they hinted at before with him talking about possibly needing to go around free will, like he actually does it in this episode. He coerces both Raven and Abby into actions that they do not want to take. And Jaha is just evil now, in my mind. This is a really great lead in because we sort of had two points about this, right? The the issues with consent. And I was trying to talk about the issues with consent without talking about <laughs> our next point, which is a discussion around this show 
treating completely unsympathetic characters like they should be sympathetic. And that's what I'm struggling with in the consent piece is that theoretically Jaha and Antari should just be villains, right? These are bad people doing bad things. But because of how the show has framed them, there is a sense that they they feel that 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 we should feel sympathetic for those characters. And I don't think they those characters have earned that. And so there's a very uncomfortable sense. And I and I think that's why, you know, I know someone, I've seen a couple of people comment on Twitter that just because a show shows something on their show doesn't mean they condone that thing, right? You you often use art to tell stories about things that that you do not condone, right? You're trying to make it clear that something is completely unacceptable. The problem here to me is that these incredibly unsympathetic characters have been, because of how the show has told their story and sort of framed them, they've framed it in a way that there should be sympathy for those characters. And that causes a problem then when they do something as horrific as what Jaha does or what Antari does to Murphy, right? And that the show kind of frames them in such a way that we are supposed to feel sympathy. But you should not be framing characters who rip away someone else's consent as characters we should feel sympathy for. Because then you are condoning this sort of sympathy almost doesn't matter, or consent almost doesn't matter thing. And that's a problem. I feel like with Jaha, they had him be sympathetic, but now he's not. But I feel like with Antari, the the thing they're doing with Antari and Murphy is so weird, and I'm so uncomfortable with it. Because the scene where she basically forces Murphy to have sex with her, the way it's filmed, the way they have the music going, the way they have Murphy react... It's as if that's not what's happening. It's a visual manifestation of the men don't get raped <laughs> myth, right? Like, I mean, yep. There's there's no other way to describe it. I don't. I don't think it's gross, and that's disgusting, frankly. <laughs> and goes right in there with the. We've said this over and over again. How could you not know? How could you not know that that's how that would read? It's the same thing we said about. Lexa shot by a stray bullet. How did you not know that that's a trope that exists and that that's how that would read? How did you not know that putting Lincoln on his knees in the mud and having him shot in the head by a black man and showing it that graphically is unacceptable? How could you not know? Right? There's just a list of things where you kind of, and then the same thing with this thing with Murphy. How could you not know that that would read as you putting on TV that the idea that men, quote, men don't get raped, right? In air quotes, this thing that we, that we perpetuate in our culture that is immensely and incredibly damaging. And that's the struggle for me, is I just don't understand how you could... It just seems irresponsible to put that kind of thing on television. I'm I'm baffled, just constantly baffled by the choices that they're making. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's doubly baffling because I feel like the first and second seasons did such good work around those kinds of things. Yes. Around an entire population of people... We were t- Chris and I were talking about this before we started recording, right? Around around Mount Weather, right? And we, when we were introduced to Mount Weather in season two, we didn't know whether or not they were trustworthy. We didn't know whether or not they were good people. And what we found was, like, in some ways, they were good people, and in some ways, they were monsters. And the story was about how people become monsters. And I, I, I don't feel like we have that in season three. That the monsters in our story are just monsters. But we're still framing them as though we should feel bad for them. 
when we have not had any impression of them as people, right? That happened this episode to me with Antari, and it rang very, very false, right? That we were supposed to feel bad for her, that she didn't know what to do, and she was kind of frantic, right? And it was her story, and it followed her, and then she gouged her fingers in some dude's eyes, and it was it became a joke, right? She made a joke about it. There's no sympathy for that character. They basically are doing the same thing with Antari that they did with Pike earlier this season, where they've right. introduced the character and told us something about them. In Pike's case, he was the one who kept the farm station people alive. In Antari's case, she was mistreated by Naya. Right. Okay, there's something there that is sympathetic. But then everything we see them do after that is not remotely sympathetic. It's just villainous. Yeah. There's a lack of balance there. You didn't you one one scene of a of a character recounting how tough things were for them is not enough to balance the villainy you have them then perpetrate. And it's fine to have people who are just villains. I mean, you can do that, Absolutely. but but pick Absolutely. a lane, show. Yeah. But if they're villains, you have to then treat them like villains. Right. Which means that if they're villains that Someone like Antari doesn't get to pace around and be nervous about what's going to happen. We're not going to, I don't feel sympathy for her. And that felt so creepy to me to paint her as though I should feel bad for her that she didn't know what to do next. And that if she's a villain, then she's a villain, right? And I should, I should be okay to go. She's terrible and does terrible things, which there's again, there's nothing wrong with that. You can certainly write those characters, but to write a character who is a monster. And then play them in a way and frame them in a way that we should feel bad for them while they are perpetrating really, truly horrific things, to me, is a very uncomfortable message to send. Yeah. If you're going to have her sexually assault Murphy, don't make it seem like it should be sexy. Yeah. That scene was so fundamentally not okay, like like several scenes we've talked about previously in the show. Watching it again, it seemed like the music cue that they had there was, to me, it was reminiscent of the one from the first episode of the season in the uh, Clark and Nyla scene. Yeah. The sort of, like, electric guitar thing. I'm just like, what is this? No. They they played it as a a sex scene when it was a rape scene. And that's a problem. (laughs) Like, that is a problem. That is irresponsible storytelling. And that's irresponsible storytelling that, unfortunately, when you put something like that on television, right, you're talking young men see that and think that they have no cause to feel not okay that some woman forced them into having sex, right? <laughs> like, that to me is just such a epic level of irresponsible. I can't. And I mean, like, even if Murphy was okay with it, the fact that Murphy literally cannot turn her down, yeah, she basically threatened his life. She has him in chains. She did. She did threaten his life. (laughs) Well, I mean, she did, but it was like a slightly indirect anyway. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, the the power imbalance is such that that's not it's not okay. No. (laughs) Why are they acting like it's okay? And that's the problem, right? It's not that it's not okay. You can show things that are not okay on TV. We do it all the time. And it can be very powerful to do that. The problem is that they're acting like it's okay when it's not. And that is the struggle I'm having with this show mm-hmm. is it does not, it's not framing its villainous actions. It's not framing its monstrous moments as monstrosity. When Cage was drilling into 
innocent people for bone marrow, that was monstrous to watch, right? Like that was monstrosity and it was painted that way and it was shot that way and it was meant to be perceived that way. Right. And um, we don't have that here. And that's, to me, that's a real, it's a real issue with the season. I just, I keep thinking about Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones has elevated the bar here for me because it's basically a show about people who have survived abuse and how they've dealt with it. And we see very little to none of that abuse on screen. Yes. You don't need to see it to know that it happened. And in fact, it's more powerful if you don't see it and you only see it through who your, who your characters have become because of it. It's much more powerful that way. So all of this, I, I left your note here from last week, the absence of hope in humanity, because it, it continues. It carries on and gets deeper and darker. And so do my spirits. <laughs> yeah. I've taken to watching other shows that make me <laughs> happier and, and have some some good times and some joy and, and a better balance of darkness and, and potential hope. Yeah, Supergirl is back this week and I'm excited. (laughs) I know, me too. So sorry about the uh, extensive criticism, but I think it's valid. Agreed. So there are our thoughts about episode 310, Fallen. Uh, Fallen. Appropriate. Like our spirits. (laughs) Yes, like our spirits. If you have thoughts about this episode that you'd like to share, you can send us an email at feedback at askgenretv.com. You can also record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. Or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223 and leave us a voice message. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at AskGenreTV. Show notes for this episode will be available at askgenretv.com slash fan8. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris. And I'm Dawson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>